Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Hey, uh, I'm excited this, this morning. Uh, we are actually not starting a new series this morning, so if you kind of, all right, new series, um, sorry. Um, we'll pray for Jason's forgiveness later. Um, but uh, we, we are actually uh, going to step back and do kind of a recap, a, uh, a reevaluation of what we call the heartbeat of Harvest Hill here. If you're, if you're visiting with us, if you've been here before, if maybe you've uh, just started coming the last couple months, about twice a year we, we're going to be coming back to this screen behind me. It's what's called the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. Um, each little heartbeat emblem is to represent the letter M in different stages. No matter where you are with God in this place, different stages that we are on in our relationship with God. It begins with the first heartbeat of meeting Jesus. That's where every individual needs to be. That's where God wants every individual to come to a place where they meet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They meet of that resurrection power we just sang about. They meet of that freedom we've been given in Christ that we're no longer bound by sin, but now we're free. We've been given the Spirit. That's where we all start. Is We meet Jesus, and, and some of us have met Jesus and in many different ways, whether it's been in church or in our home or um, in different places in our life. Um, but it, it can't end there. And that's where we're really focusing on with this heartbeat is um, a lot of Christianity that I have encountered, um, particularly in America, has stopped at that moment of salvation where they have met Jesus and they go to church and they sit in church maybe a couple times a year, maybe every single Sunday of the year, but they aren't doing what biblical Christianity is. And that is we go from a place of meeting Jesus, and if you look at any encounter Jesus has with people, it was given this invitation, come and follow me. Now, that invitation may seem like you know, a physical following, but it, the implication in Scripture is that you're going to follow me in my footsteps. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to take you from where I found you and take you to a place where I and God need you to be. And that's our second heartbeat. We meet Jesus, and we're called to mature in our relationship with God. Um, and that maturing our relationship with God is going to take time and effort. And we're going to dive into that this morning. It's all for the purpose of these last two heartbeats. And what makes us actually uh, the evidence of a healthy Christian and a healthy church. That I'm maturing in my relationship with God. And we as a body of Christ are maturing in our relationship with God. So we can be on mission for the kingdom of God. That's the third heartbeat. That we are called to be on me on mission. We are mission. No, we're called to be on mission for the kingdom of God. And, and this is the beauty of salvation. This is the beauty of our relationship with God. This is something you should be praising God every single day of your life that God did not save you to sit you. He saved you to use you. And He wants you to be on mission. And there's many different ways that looks in the body of Christ. There's many different ways that looks in your own life on how you would be on mission. All for the final end there, the final purpose of multiplication by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I really want to emphasize that power of the Holy Spirit because you and I cannot lead anyone to the first heartbeat. We cannot lead anyone to meet Jesus Christ. 
we, we may be a light, we may be example, but the Scripture is very clear. It is the Holy Spirit that brings people to conviction, and conviction is what brings people to salvation. And salvation is that part where they meet Jesus. And so we, we're on this journey, and everyone in this room and everyone you know is somewhere along this. They either need to be at the first part where they need to meet Jesus, or they need to be moving along. And what we get with this heartbeat is this is what keeps us alive not only as a Christian, but as a church. Because if we ever stop doing any one of these, we flatline. And so this is where we're going to be diving in. If you have your scriptures with you this morning, I want to encourage you to make your way to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is kind of near the end of the New Testament. It's uh, one of, uh, almost one of the last of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament. So 2 Timothy obviously comes after 1 Timothy. First uh, and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, then you would come to Titus. And we're going to be looking at how this played out in uh, the life of Timothy and the way Paul was calling Timothy to go on to this heartbeat. Now obviously Paul didn't call it the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And matter of fact, you're not even going to find the the word heartbeat, but we can see how these are biblical implications and biblical uh, design that God has throughout all of His Scripture. If you hear this and you're like, well, that seems like a daunting task, what God wants to do with me, let's begin this heartbeat with this understanding. Every part that God calls us to, whether it's maturing, being on mission, or multiplying, the Bible tells us this that God in His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So God has given us everything we need to do this in our own life and the life of the church. And the reason we're doing this is because we have on our church sign and we have it on our, on our little cards in the back of the seats and we have on our website and on the Facebook and probably anywhere else you can find Harvest Hill that we as a church stand for loving God and loving people. If we are truly going to love God and love people, then we have to be a healthy church. We have to personally be maturing. We as a church have to be maturing. We have to personally be on mission. We have to be multiplying. And we're going to see how Paul is calling Timothy to do that. Uh, we're going to begin in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 14. And uh, just give a little context about this is Paul, we were first introduced to the man named Timothy or boy named Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his uh, second or third missionary journey. He and Barnabas have just split ways over the issue of dealing with John Mark. And Paul arrives to the area where he comes across this man named Timothy and he's automatically just kind of uh, drawn to Timothy. There's something about this man which Paul has given discernment that this, this individual, Timothy, is going to be useful. So Paul invites Timothy to come along with him on this missionary journey. And eventually, Paul leaves Timothy in a place called Ephesus uh, to be the pastor of that church. This is where the second letter, even the first letter of Timothy, is written to, where Timothy is being a pastor of a church in Ephesus. It's also the area which we have Paul's letter called the Ephesians. That's the same book. Ephesus is also mentioned in the book of Revelation of one of the seven churches. So it's a pretty significant church. 
Um, it's believed that also not only Timothy was there as a pastor one time, Paul was there as a pastor one time, the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, was there as a, as a pastor at one time. And so they kind of had a, a Hall of Fame of pastors, and Timothy is here. But most likely they have a Hall of Fame of pastors because you read Ephesians, and you read through the letters of First and Second Timothy, and then you even look into the, the, the letter of Revelations dealing with the church of Ephesus. This church had a lot of issues. And so God had to put very godly men in this church so they could lead this church to be the church it needed to be. And Timothy is here in the midst, and Paul is writing what we would call a pastoral letter to Timothy to give him some direction and some guidance on how to pastor or shepherd this church so they can be the church that God needs them to be. But even though it's a pastoral letter, Paul deals a lot with Timothy's personal relationship with God and how his personal relationship with God impacts Timothy's mission and Timothy's ability to multiply for the kingdom of God. So let's begin in verse 14. As Paul, we're going to jump in the midst of this letter. And Paul says, but, or the word of God says, but as for you, again, this is Timothy, it's, it's directly to him. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, and you know that those who taught you, and you know that from infancy or from early childhood, as some read, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training of righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of His appearance and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Verse 5, But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Let's walk back to verse 14 and just see how our heartbeat is playing out in Timothy's life. Paul begins in verse 14, and the bulk of Paul's letters to Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy is led by the Spirit, is, is calling Timothy in what we would see as our second heartbeat, this maturing in our relationship with God. But before one can mature in their relationship with God, they first have to meet Jesus. Now, Paul was not the instrument that allowed Timothy to meet Jesus. Paul points to that in verse 14 and also in verse 15. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, and you know that those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible lets us know, and in Paul's first letter we call 1 Timothy, lets us know that Timothy was impacted and, and allowed to meet Jesus, not through the apostle Paul, but rather through his mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Louis. 
And so what we find here is Paul finds Timothy, a man who has known the Scriptures, who is maturing in his faith, but has already been allowed to meet Jesus. How he met Jesus, we don't know. Scripture doesn't let us know that. But most likely it came through Peter's preaching in Jerusalem that impacted uh, either uh, Timothy's mother or grandmother or impacted somebody who took that message back to where Timothy was living and where he had grown up. But what we find in Scripture over and over again is that the primary place where people are to meet Jesus is not in church. It's not in church. The primary place where people are to meet Jesus is in homes, and it's through the parents. If you go from Old Testament to New Testament, you see God declaring to His people time and time again, tell the next generation what this means. Pass this on to the next generation so they can tell the next generation that the fathers and the mothers are to be the spiritual pulpit in the home allowing their kids to meet Jesus. Now, church is obviously a means in which is a gathering of God's people to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ into the world. It is a place where you can invite people. I promise you I will preach Jesus as long as I live. That you can invite people to come here and hear the message of Jesus Christ, hear about God's love for them and the means of forgiveness. But the reality is, is people have already made a judgment about God and Jesus Christ because of you. Not because of what the preacher preaches on Sunday. And your kids will make their evaluation on how important God is and how important their relationship with God is because of you and me, the parent. My son and my daughter are going to look to me, or they should look to me, and they should look to Jamie as the example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They should look to me and they should look to their mother as an example of what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, of what it means to be obedient and be walking by faith. They should look to me and look to Jamie as an example of what it means to be in the grace of God. Because we aren't perfect, but they should look to us and we are the prime example that God wants to use in our kids' lives that they may know Him, and mature in their relationship with Him, ultimately to the place where they become on mission and begin multiplying. Parents, this is huge. As though the church can help you and be an aid for you and hopefully strengthen you in your faith and and, and strengthen you to be that example, the reality is, is God did not give your children or your grandchildren to the church that they may mature in their relationship or they may even meet Jesus. God has given them to you. And you, not me as the pastor, not Charlie or Mike as the elders, not our deacons, not Jackson or Jason as our youth pastor, you, the parent, will be held accountable for how good of a steward you are with your children. So what example are they seeing in you? I know my kids see my faults, but I hopefully they see my triumphs as well. Do they see Jesus coming out? Do they see an individual pursuing after Jesus Christ? Now there are realities. There are kids we know, and God has brought to us the kids that, that do not have godly influences in their life. And so we as a church, what we do is we rally around those kids and we pour the truth in their life so that they can meet Jesus.
That's all that we're aiming to do. That is the whole purpose of every single mission we have, is that we want people to meet Jesus. That's the number one priority. If people have already met Jesus, then we want to mature them in the relationship with God. If, if we begin focusing on anything else, how much it's going to cost, how hard it's going to be, who's going to, if, we, if we lose our focus that we're not loving God so people can fall in love with God and we're not giving them the opportunity to meet Jesus, then we really need to just stop. Everything we do from children, nursery children to youth to adults is all about people meeting Jesus and maturing. Why? Because if people are not maturing in their relationship with God, there's no way they're going to become on mission and there's no way they're going to multiply. There's no way. It's not biblically possible. It's not. You may go on a mission trip, but if you're not maturing in your relationship with God, how are you going to spread spiritual and biblical fruit into other people's lives? You may love on them. You may treat them like an individual, but I guarantee you will not love them in the way that the Bible commands you to love them. The Bible says to love others as we love ourselves. That the way we love one another is the mark that we're true followers, we're true, true disciples, true Christians by the way we love one another. This is a deep calling to love one another. And if I'm not maturing in my relationship with God, if I'm not coming to a deeper understanding of how much God loves me through the cross and the resurrection, and I'm not maturing in that, then I'm not going to be on mission and multiplying in the way that I need to be in the way that biblically is called for. But again, parents, it all begins with us. I am the example for my son. I'm the example for my daughter. You are the example for your kids. And we as the church, as the body of Christ, the physical representation of Jesus Christ today, we rally around one another to help each other in that. But it begins at your home. That's your pulpit. And so Paul is picking Timothy up at this moment and he's saying, look, these things that you've heard, and again in verse 15 says, you've known from infancy, that word infancy, and I read from the Christian Standard Bible, that's really not important. But that word infancy literally means an early childhood. So what Paul is saying is he understands that Timothy has been taught the Scriptures. He's been given the opportunity to mature in his relationship with God ever since he was young. And throughout this letter, he continues to charge Timothy that you must continue in this. Verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Why? Why does Paul, why do we need to mature in our relationship with God? We understand that Timothy's like second generation Christian, right? I mean, Paul and, and Peter are still alive and, and Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. So did Peter. There were still eyewitnesses living when Timothy was alive. But here is Paul addressing Timothy, allowing him to understand, look, there are going to be people, if you jump down in verse 2, or jump back to verse 2 in chapter 3, there are going to be people who are going to become lovers of self. They're going to become lovers of money. Verse 13 of chapter 3, Paul says that evil people, imposters, they're going to become worse and they're going to be deceiving. And they're, going to be de they're going to be deceived. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, led by the Spirit, and he's calling him to continue in the faith, be diligent, continue to, to go back to the Scriptures, continue in your maturing of your relationship with God. The reality is, is that Paul understood and wants Timothy to understand that you need to mature because there are going to be people around you opposed to the love and the Word of God. And there's going to be such a strong force. And this is Timothy. He is a pastor at a church. 
He's the pastor at a church. And Paul's saying, you need to be diligent. You need to be diligent because these people around you are going to give in to things that are not sound doctrine. They're going to give in to things that just tickle their ears or make their ears itch, things that they want to hear, and it's going to have an impact on you. And if you're not maturing in the faith, it is going to pull you from the faith. The writer of Hebrews lets us know in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, that we need to pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. And Hebrews was written to a group of Christian individuals. These are not people who are young in the faith, but people who are growing in their faith. That there are going to be people around us in our life who are not living for God, not pursuing God. And if we're not careful, if we're not maturing in our faith, we will drift away to where they are. That's the importance of you personally investing into the Word of God and maturing in your faith. If your only investment into your relationship with God is Sunday morning, right here, right now, then I have some very sad news for you. You better check your salvation. You better check it. How can you say you're in love with God if you don't want to spend any time in the Word of God? If you have no desire to hear God's voice speaking to you from Monday through Saturday, how can you say you're a child of God and you belong to Him? If the only time you hear God speaking to you is right now when the preacher speaking to you, you better check your salvation. Because if you have no desire for the things of God except for in this moment right now, how can you say you have the Spirit of God inside you who's supposed to draw you to His presence? Who's supposed to speak His Word into your heart, into your soul? It's a sad reality, but I've read it over and over again for the last several months. That in the Church of America, it is estimated 80% of people who go to church every single Sunday are lost. 80% of people who go to church every Sunday in America are in fact lost. They have no relationship with God except through the preacher. And Paul is calling Timothy, not necessarily as the pastor, but as an individual, you need to be diligent. You need to continue to push on. You need to continue to press on in knowing God and knowing the things of God into the sacred scriptures. You need to be personally invested in this. See, Paul understood that his time was coming to a close. He goes on to say later in this chapter that I fought the good fight, verse 7 of chapter 4, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 6, as I am being poured out as a drink offering, my time, my departure is close. I imagine as Timothy, as he's gone on mission trips with Paul and he's reading these words and he knows Paul's in prison this moment and Paul's speaking about his end is coming. I imagine Timothy reading this letter. This is a letter from someone Timothy loves and Timothy knows who loves him. And he's saying, I'm on my deathbed. My end is near. Can you imagine Timothy's tears pouring down as he hears Paul speaking? This man who's invested in his life, who's, who's helped and mature in his relationship with God. And now as Timothy reads this, what Paul says, my time is in because all of our time is going to come to an end. At some point in time, Paul draws that we're going to stand before God. Verse 1 of chapter 4, who's going to judge the living and the dead? At some point in time, we're all going to face that reality. At some point in time, Timothy, I'm not going to be here to pour into you and, and to mature. So you have to invest on this your own. You have to make it your constant pursuit in life that you will be into the things and, and the Word of God. 
For it is through this scripture, Paul says in verse 15 of chapter 3, that you are able to gain wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you're one of those who doesn't mind underlining scripture, I encourage you to do so in verse 16 and 17. Paul says through the Spirit that all scripture, all of it, all of it, Genesis to Revelation. Of course, Paul in this moment in time, in the context, when he says all Scripture, Paul's just talking about the Old Testament. New Testament yet to come into to fulfillment. I mean, Paul obviously has written some letters, but he's not referring to that. He's referring to the Scripture, what we call Genesis to Malachi. All of that, all of that is, is inspired by God. But then we take that word and, and that inspiration by God, that breathing out by God, meaning it's the voice of God. What we hold in this, what you're allowed to have your phone light up as you look down at your screen at this moment, what you're allowed to, to take home with you, this is the recorded voice of God. This is your DVR to the kingdom of God right here. And I can open it at any point in time, in any point in chapter, and I can hear the voice of a loving Heavenly Father speaking to my heart, calling me out of this world and setting me apart from this world, all of it. Even that boring stuff in Leviticus and the end of Exodus and Numbers, all of it is breathed out by God and notices it is profitable. The word profitable in verse 16 means it is beneficial. It is to your benefit that God has given you every ounce of this for the teaching and for rebuking, for the correcting and the training of righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, and and that is not a gender specific there in verse 17. It literally means so that the individual of God, meaning those who have met Jesus, so that individual may be complete. They may be fulfilled. They may be all that God created them to be and equipped for every good work. Notice that. That our maturation, our maturing in our relationship is for a good work. That's the mission. But I have to be invested in this. I have to trust that everything in this is is profitable. Anybody know what the longest chapter in all Scripture is? Bible trivia. It's out of Psalms, that's correct. 119, anybody know what that, Psalm 119, longest chapter in all Scripture, anybody know what that Psalm's about? (laughs) God, Jesus, in a way. It's about the Word of God. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all Scripture, is about the Word of God. I want to read a few passages Because according to the Word of God, according to what I did to hold every day, this is how I did to live the life that God created me to live. This is how I do it. It's not self-help books. It's not peers. It's not seminars or conferences. I don't have to pay for it. I can download it by free on my phone or tablet. If you don't have a Bible, find me before you leave. I'll get one in your hands. I have everything I need right here so that I can live the life that God has saved me to live. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Verse 11. I have treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. So I may not be opposed to you. 
Psalmist says that it's the Word of God that allows him to live and enjoy life. Psalm 119, verse 25, Give me life through your Word. Verse 37, Give me life in your ways. Verse 40, Give me life through your righteousness. Verse 50, Your promise has given me life. Verse 54, your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Verse 88, give me life according to your faithful love. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. Verse 107, give me life according to your word. Verse 149, give me life in keeping with your justice. Verse 154, give me life as as you promised. Verse 56, give me life according to your judgments. Verse 159, give me life according to your faithful love. Now if I read that, where should I find life? From the voice of God. This is what gives me life. This is what allows me to live this life. And I just have to trust that what is in here allows me to live the life that God created. Jesus came to the earth and he says, I am the living word. And hear what Jesus said. I have come that they may have, can you guess the word? Life. That they may have it in abundance. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus spoke concerning the word of God when he was amidst the persecution. I know that his, speaking of God's command, is eternal life. See, God has given us this word so that we might mature in this life. And so we might live this life in abundance. So we might live in the joy that Jesus Christ gives us and the freedom Jesus gives us but it all begins that I have to look at the word of God not as something as an option but as a necessity for my life I cannot be the parent I need to be without the word of God I cannot lead my children into the eternal life of Jesus Christ without the Word of God invested in me. I cannot be the husband I need to be without God's Word invested in me so I can bring my marriage life. I cannot be the pastor you need me to be unless I'm invested in the Word of God so I can bring this ministry life and not by the power of me, but by the power of what? God's Word. We cannot be the church God needs us to be. Not wants, but needs us to be. It calls us to be in Stratford unless we are invested in the Word of God because this is the only life we have. This is all that we can proclaim into this community. We have to have conviction about that. This is life from the God who created life. So we might speak life and bring life into a world, the reality is, that is in death. They're in sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Not life. So that's why it's so important that we be on maturing so we can be on mission the way God wants us to be on mission. Paul tells Timothy, verse 2, of chapter 4, preach the what? Preach the what? The Word. Don't preach your famous movie. Don't preach your famous author. Don't preach your famous or favorite conference or favorite song. Preach the what? The Word. Why? Because what does the Word give? Good. You're still with me. Yes. 
But notice, he says, preach the word because the word is life and the word is what brings life to people despite what is around you, despite the itching ears, despite the deception and the deceivers and those who don't want anything to do with it, just keep preaching the word. That word preach means to proclaim, but it even holds deeper significance. Paul is calling this young disciple, Timothy, that you are to proclaim the word of God, but the word preach from the Greek means this. It is an individual who is a herald, A herald in the Roman world was an individual who was given authority like by Caesar or a governor to go on their behalf and proclaim the message that they wanted to deliver. Paul uses that word. He says, now that you have met Jesus, now that you're maturing in your relationship, now that the Spirit is inside of you, now that you have life coming out of you, God has authorized you to speak on his behalf to a world that is dying. Preach it, preacher. That's what he's saying. He's saying, go out and preach because you have the authority of God in you and on you. That's why Paul says in Romans 31, what can man do to me? God is for me and he is the authority of all life and death. He will judge the living and the dead. He created all life. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. He is Lord. What can man do to me if God is for me? So I will preach the word. And the reality is, there are going to be people in your life, because if Timothy is within the first century of the first church, of the beginnings of Christianity, and Timothy is going to encounter persecution for preaching the word, then you better believe 2,000 years from then, you're going to encounter persecution for preaching the word. Paul says, preach it. And notice he says that when you do it, it will rebuke. Well, if you go back to verse 16, that's what the Word of God does. It rebukes. It will correct. It will encourage. Preach the Word. Requires us to be in the Word. And God convicted me about a month ago. It's going to sound really weird for some of y'all. Because I'm a pastor, right? So I, you want to know what a pastor does during the week? Some you're like, well, you know, he only works on Sunday for a couple hours. That's why I preach so long. I got to get all my time in, right? No, no, no. Right. So, um, pastor during the bulk of, of their week reads a lot. I, I probably spend... <laughs> 30 to 40 hours just reading and studying, taking notes, writing down notes. And so if you think I preach for a long time, you just start counting your blessings because I really cut this stuff down, okay? You can go praise God later for that. But God convicted me that I, I mean, I'm reading commentaries, I'm reading dictionaries, I'm reading encyclopedias, I'm reading books on theology, books on uh, apologetics, books on church building, books on scripture and Greek words and Hebrew words and books on patriarchs and reading books about the Bible. And God convicted me, he said, look, Pastor Mike, you're doing so good reading books about the Bible, why don't you actually read the Bible? And he convicted me, you know, you're, you're doing so good listening to other preachers preach the Word of God. Why don't you actually get in and allow the Word of God just to preach to you? 
You're being so good about turning on the Christian radio station and singing songs that have the Word of God in them. Why don't you allow the Word of God to be the thing that leads you to worship? And it convicted me. Because I was spending all my time doing good things. And I imagine everyone here, you're doing good things. But it's so easy just to say, you know, I'm doing godly things, but are you actually in the Word of God? Are you actually allowing God to speak to your heart and to put you on mission for the sake of multiplication? I want to encourage and challenge everybody to get into the Word of God somewhere. Maybe you just want to start in 1st or 2nd Timothy. Paul gives Timothy this warning, but he goes on, jump to verse 5 of chapter 4, but he says, As for you, exercise self-control in everything. How is he going to do it? Because he's got to be maturing in his relationship. He's got to be able to have spiritual, godly eyes to see things as they are. Endure hardship because you're going to go through it. In this relationship with God, if you believe that Christianity is all rainbows and lollipops and you are reading the wrong Bible and you are listening to the wrong preachers, you're going to endure hardship for living for Jesus Christ. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That word evangelist means do the work of those who are heralding, proclaiming, Preaching salvation. That's our calling. That's our mission. That I am to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 real quick. What is the message we preach? Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Meaning apart from the Torah, apart from the instructions of God, apart from even the Old Testament, What has been revealed has now been revealed that, verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus to all believe. What it means is it's not, it doesn't matter if I'm a good person or a bad person. That's not God's measuring rod. Good people go to hell. Bad people go to heaven. We say that's not fair. Well, let's praise God things aren't fair. But God says that it is through faith in Christ Jesus. It's in faith in Jesus Christ. It's by His work alone. To all who believe, and there is no distinction. What's that mean? God levels the playing field. This is the gospel we preach. That is not about what I bring to the table. It's not even about what I'll do after this moment. It's that Jesus Christ paid it all once and for all. And that gift is for everyone. There is no distinction. There is no difference. Verse 23, this is why. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every individual you know is a sinner apart from Jesus Christ. 
which means they're in death. But God wants to call them into life through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're in death. Maybe you're in your sin because you have yet to declare you want Jesus. Verse 24, and they are justified. That word justified, again, if you highlight, underline, mark in your scripture, that's fine. Just don't change the word. Word justified means it's just as if you've never sinned. It's a legal term that Paul uses. They would go into the Roman courts. It would be, come in that you are guilty. Everyone knows you're guilty. But then the judge declares you innocent. And Paul uses this word that you are free of all your guilt, not by anything you've done, but freely by what? His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Something we don't deserve, something we, we, we can't earn. That's grace. Because God, verse 25, presented Him, being Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice. You may read the word propitiation in His blood. What that word alludes to is Leviticus chapter 14. You can go there, read it. Marvelous part of Scripture. Speaks of the, atone, the sacrifice of atonement. That every year the, the priest would have to give a sacrifice for himself so that he would be pure and he would be clean and be able to go into the Holy of Holies into the presence of God to give a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And they would have two goats and one goat, what would be called the term scapegoat. One would become the scapegoat and the other would be the goat offered up as a sacrifice of atonement. And when that goat was sacrificed, the blood of that goat would be sprinkled on the other goat and they would release the scapegoat into the wilderness as a, a visual that the sins of the nation of Israel, the sins of the people would be taken away by the mercies of God through sacrifice. And so Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is now your ultimate sacrifice. He was your ultimate scapegoat. God took our sin and poured it upon him and spilled out his blood. And because he did that, when we receive through faith, it demonstrates his righteousness because in his restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed, meaning God didn't give us what we deserved. But God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has in faith in Jesus. That's the message we preach. I'm saved by grace by the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. What does that mean? Well, Jesus died for me, he rose for me, I believe it, believe God loves me. Well, how, what's the theological significance of that in your life? I don't know, come to church with me. That's your answer. <laughs> All you got to know is that God loves you. He died for you, he rose again and you can be forgiven. That's the message, that's what we preach. And as we mature in our relationship with God, God enhances our mission. He enhances our ability to multiply because we come to a deeper understanding of God's love. But that's what we're to be about. And everyone in this room is at some place in time. You either are here this morning you need to meet Jesus because you've been playing church. But the reality is here, something I had to learn the hard way, you cannot play God. You cannot trick God. He knows exactly where you are. You can brush me off, but the reality is when you brush me off and you, or you brush off the Word of God, you're brushing Him off. And you may be here this morning, you know you need to meet Jesus. 
You've been coming to church. You've been doing all this stuff because you want to make mom and dad happy or grandma and grandma happy. But you have yet to meet Jesus yourself. You've yet to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will not be saved by your parents' salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and God's convicting you as He convicted me. I've been listening to a whole bunch of preaching. I've been reading a whole bunch of books about God or a whole bunch of books about the Bible or a whole bunch of books about discipleship. Isn't it funny we read books about how to pray, but we fail to get together to pray the way we should? I've been reading a whole bunch of books about the Bible, but I'm not actually in the Bible. And that's what needs to change in your life. Maybe here this morning and you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, your whole life but you've yet to be the ambassador for Christ that God wants to use here. If this is where God has brought you, and this is the church God has planted you in, then God wants to use you here, no matter your age. And He's calling you to be on mission. One thing's coming up, just put it in your ear. VBS, coming. We need people to help out in the nursery. During church right now, in children's church right now, we need people to help out in the nursery during Bible study at 9.15, 9.30, and with the kids and, and with youth. I mean, there is not a lack of opportunity. But you've got to take the initiative. All for the sake of multiplication. It is God's will that people will come to a saving knowledge of Him, and God wants to use you and me for that purpose. It's awesome. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. I don't know where you are this morning, but if you need to meet Jesus, I want to invite you to come down. Admit you're a sinner. Believe God loves you. Jesus rose from the dead and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, you just need to repent like I had to repent. God, I've been reading so much about your word, but not actually in your word. I'm going to invite you to come and kneel before the Father. If you need to say, I want to get plugged in, I want to be involved somewhere, man, that's why Jason points to those cards every time we start service. Get plugged in somewhere. But I encourage you, now is the time that we become doers of the words and not hearers only. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, saving us. Lord, I thank you for the work you've done here this morning, the work you're wanting to continue to do in our lives as you continue to pour out your word and your spirit upon us. Father, let us bring all glory to you and you alone in this place. Father, let us be the church you need us to be. You've planted us to be here in this community. Father, I thank you that you have a great and mighty work you want to do through Harvest Hill. Let us do it about your mission. Let us be passionate about your word. Let us be passionate about our relationship with you. Let us join you in the work you've already finished. You've already won the battle, Father. Let us join alongside you in that victory march. Father, it's my desire that there would be a per- not a person in this room that would leave today that is not your child. Father, that they would walk out these doors as a lost individual. Father, it's my desire because I know it's your desire. So, Father, I pray for the individuals in this room right now that were like me 20 years ago. Realized that I was just going through the motions and doing all the things I thought I should do, but I wasn't actually in a relationship with you. 
Father, I pray that your spirit, because it's your spirit alone that can do this, would bring conviction upon their hearts. You would soften them. You would open their eyes to see truth. Open their eyes to see life and love. And that they would step out from where they're standing here in a moment. And they would walk down this aisle to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, let us continue to preach your word and your word alone. Forgive us we failed you in any way and any time in this place. We come this moment to respond. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we stand.